As we prepare to hear God's word read and proclaimed, let us pray. Holy and gracious God, we thank you for the gift of your word, for the gift of Jesus' parables that challenge us, that press us to open our minds to the movement of your spirit in our hearts and in our souls, that we may be faithful to you in our daily living. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. We continue our series this morning of the parables in Matthew chapter 13 with verses 24 through 30. And you can find this on page 14 in the Bibles in your pews if you'd like to follow along. Jesus put before them another parable. The kingdom of heaven may be compared to someone who sowed good seed in his field, but while everybody was asleep, an enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and then went away. So when the plants came up and bore grain, then the weeds appeared as well. And the slaves of the householder came and said to him, Master, did you not sow good seed in your field? Where then did these weeds come from? He answered, an enemy has done this. The slaves said to him, then do you want us to go and gather them? But he replied, no, for in gathering the weeds, you would uproot the wheat along with them. Let both of them grow together until the harvest. And at harvest time, I will tell the reapers, Collect the weeds first and bind them in bundles to be burned, but gather the wheat into my barn. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, we are back at it this week with another parable about farming. Last week, we heard about a farmer or a sower who scatters seed everywhere only to have it take root and grow in the good soil. Well, today we learn a little more about that good soil, which is that even the best soil can be corrupted by bad seed. There are few desires as strong in our hearts and minds as the desire to know why bad things happen the desire to explain and try to predict when and where evil will strike next so that we can try to avoid it. No one can look at the evil in this world without trying to rationalize it, whether it's the atrocity of war in Ukraine or Sudan, the recent earthquake in Morocco or the flooding in Libya, that in our own country, nine million children go to bed hungry every night. The indiscriminate reach of cancer and COVID and other diseases which strike young and old, rich and poor, the epidemic of mass shootings. We work hard to come up with plausible explanations for such things. We point to corruption, inflation, climate change, environmental pollutants, access to guns, terrorism. But even as these explanations leave our lips, we know, we know that there are things that simply defy our attempts to make sense of them. 
things we will never understand and cannot explain, things we just don't know. The problem is, I don't know might just be the three hardest words for us to say. Child psychologists recently gathered a dozen six-year-olds and told them a simple story of a family that spent the day at the beach. Then they asked them questions about the story. Did the family drink lemonade at lunch? Well, the story didn't say anything about that, but the kids said, yes, they did. Did they listen to music on the car trip? Again, the story is silent on this subject, but the children definitively answered yes or no. They would do almost anything to avoid saying, I don't know. Then the psychologist shifted the questions to other topics. Is a sweater angrier than a tree? Is red heavier than yellow? Yes, said one child. No, insisted another. One boy offered an elaborate explanation about why red is heavier than yellow. From a young age, it seems, we will do anything to avoid saying, I don't know. The parable of the weeds and the wheat raises two profound theological questions. How is it that there is such evil in the world? And what can we do about it? The first is an expression of what we don't know, maybe even what we can't know about God. Because if God is good and all-powerful, as most of us have been taught, then how can there be so much bad in the world and in our lives? And once we acknowledge and accept that the bad exists right alongside everything that is good and right in the world, well, then what do we do about that? When Jesus raises and explores these questions by telling a parable, he's not exactly giving us answers. In his classic style, he's offering this story to help us wonder, imagine, question, and wrestle with these difficult concepts. Jesus knows we want nothing more than to be able to cleanly separate the bad from the good, just as those workers want to go into the field and pull out the weeds as soon as they discover that they're there. But wait, the farmer says, you don't know which is which. The word that Jesus uses here for weeds describes a specific plant that looks just like wheat until it grows fully and bears grain. Which means by the time you know for sure which plants are the weeds and which are the wheat, it will be impossible to get rid of the weeds without doing real damage to the wheat as well. And so the farmer advises it's better to be patient and leave them both to grow. The preaching professor Tom Long says this parable is the best biblical explanation for the problem of evil in the world. In it, Jesus acknowledges the reality of evil and also suggests that it comes from a source that is not God. 
It is an enemy who comes and sows the weed right in the middle of the wheat. Jesus also suggests that evil is an intricate part of our world, so entwined with all that is good that to try to rationalize it away or destroy it completely is to risk doing damage to the good as well. So in that sense, this parable is a warning against binary, either-or thinking, which I think Jesus knows is a perennial human temptation. The Catholic priest and writer Richard Rohr repeatedly encourages his readers to resist binary, either-or thinking. One way he does this is by constantly proclaiming that in God's economy, in God's world, everything belongs. God uses everything, including our worst mistakes. And God teaches us to hold all of it together with patience and grace. As Rohr puts it, our task is to find the good, the true, and the beautiful in everything, even and most especially the problematic. Because, he assures us, the bad is never strong enough to counteract the good. In this parable of the weeds growing in the midst of the wheat, Jesus counsels patience, especially in the face of tragedy and sorrow we do not understand. Patience that accepts we don't know what we don't know. And that often what we think we are seeing or hearing or understanding will turn out to be different than what we thought. Before Hurricane Katrina hit New Orleans, Jean Gibson ran the benefits department for all the city workers. She was a homeowner, and most months, one paycheck covered all her bills. She drove a nice car. She wore expensive clothes to work. When the storm hit, she was at home with her husband and her two grandchildren, who were one and three years old. The storm destroyed their home, and within days, the four of them were evacuated to Houston, where they stayed in a hotel. Then one day, their credit card hit the limit. Jean tried to withdraw cash from an ATM, but her bank in New Orleans was closed and would not allow her to access her money. The hotel kicked them out. She was stuck there in Texas with two grandbabies, no money, no place to stay, and no way to get back home, and no home to go to. So she did something she never imagined herself doing. She sat on a curb near a Kmart and begged from every car that came into or went out of the parking lot. She said things like, if you could just give me some diapers, just some diapers and food for the children. You don't have to give me anything, just some food for the children. Finally, someone asked her if she was from New Orleans, and when she said yes, he bought her diapers and macaroni. Of course, she had nowhere to cook the pasta, but the children were so hungry, they ate it dry. A reporter asked Jean if when her life changed so abruptly, she felt like a different person. No, she said, that's not what happens. What happens is you get very practical. How do you solve the next problem? 
The only thing she could think to do in that moment was to beg, something she'd never done before. I even banged on people's car windows, she said, and asked them, please, could you help me? Because of the way I looked, they must have thought I was a drug addict or something, you know, using those babies. And let me tell you, the reason I thought that was because I used to think that about people who did what I was doing. It is an unsatisfying answer to the question of why evil exists, but this parable suggests that at least part of the answer is that God's ways are not ours to understand or rationalize or explain. Sometimes there are things in life we must wait to understand. There are also things we will never fully understand. And as far as what we can do about it, it turns out it might be what we don't do that matters. Because what's needed is patience, waiting, keeping our hearts and minds open because the good and the bad are intertwined, not as easy to identify or separate as we want them to be. To figure out what circumstances, what habits will bear fruit and which will turn out to be weeds, it takes time. But it's all a part of God's creation and we do well to practice patience with ourselves, with others, and with the world. As tempting as it is to label things and people as good or bad, us or them, wheat or weeds, that is not our work to do. Does it make us feel safer and more secure when we can put things and people into boxes and treat them accordingly? Of course it does. But especially in times of division and animosity, what possibilities might arise if in the face of whatever evidence invites us to jump to conclusions, we wait and say, I don't know. Let's wait and see. Years ago in Ohio, I officiated a funeral for a member of the church named Robert. He came to worship almost every Sunday, and in our brief interactions afterwards, he always had a critique to share. As a young pastor, it was hard not to take it personally. When I visited him at his assisted living facility, he freely shared his political opinions and his concerns about the church. And I confess that all of this led me to make some assumptions about Robert, and they weren't always good. But at Robert's funeral, three of his children and grandchildren shared their memories of him. And as I listened, I was overcome by the painful realization that I did not know Robert as well as I thought. Hearing about his work as a teacher, how he cared for others as a husband and father, grandfather, colleague, and friend, and his long history of service to the church, I discovered I did not have the full picture of who Robert was. I didn't know or understand him as well as I thought. 
And more than anything in that moment, I wished I could go back and have more conversations with him and get to know him better. I am convinced that Jesus teaches in parables to push us into that uncomfortable place of not knowing, to make us question, to let our imaginations run wild, to sit in discomfort with what challenges us and defies our assumptions in these stories. After all, what self-respecting farmer would allow weeds to flourish in the same fields growing the crops that are necessary for that farmer's livelihood. Jesus wants us to adopt a frame of mind that resists easy answers and either-or thinking, to let go of the need for clarity, to develop the habits of openness and being gracious and accepting of the good and the bad, in our lives, in the world, even in our own hearts. Because in the kingdom of God, everything belongs. Jesus invites us to develop habits of curiosity and patience with all the things we are so tempted to label and to be willing to say, maybe there is something here we don't yet No. Amen.